morning. It is Tuesday, April 11th, and this is Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and for those of you who have Polish ancestry, this is the date of the Feast of St. Stanislaus, who is the patron of Poland. So uh, welcome to all of you, and uh, we'll have a guest, two guests today. Uh, one was pre-recorded and another who's supposed to be here in the studio. And Dennis is here with me today. How are you, Dennis? Great, Gene. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, happy day and happy storm day for those of you that are in Central Texas uh, that are not listening to us right now because their uh, internet connection is out. So hopefully, if you're listening to us now, you're listening via podcast in Central Texas later after the fact or on Saturday morning for our Encore presentation. So, yeah, it's um, we're out there, and uh, we're having a few other issues here in the studio, though we're not having any storms here yet in the Brazos Valley. So we'll see how that happens. I can't feel like half of me is missing this morning. <laughs> how is that? Oh, because half the stations half are off. Half the stations are off. I'm sorry about that, Gene. That's okay. I'd... Yeah, we we found out about, about that when we got into the studio. We didn't have any connection. I'm like, oh, no. So, But you have something coming up in Waco here pretty quick. We do. We do. So if you're listening here on a Saturday or on this podcast, we have a benefit dinner, our first ever benefit dinner for KYAR, and that's coming up on April 21st, just around the corner, and it's at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Waco. You can come here our very own Trey and Stephanie Cashin come speak about the Holy Family, uh, the domestic church, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit in the domestic church. We're going to have a great, uh, great pork loin dinner. God bless America is the theme. We're so excited about this benefit dinner. And I will let you know, if you don't have a table or tickets now, you better get them fast because there's only five tables remaining. And where is this going to take place, Dennis? Say, uh, it's going to be at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, just in the south part of Waco, okay. just off I-35. So, okay, so it should be easy to get to. Yeah, it is. It's right next, right across the highway from the circle, as they call it. So, yeah, we're very excited. A lot of things going on. We're uh, almost done completed uh, completing the station for Palestine, and so we're going to be airing some. So our third child is about to be born. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say I know what labor pains are about, but I, I could say what other pains are about. So, but yeah, this, is, this has been a growing experience for us, for sure. So we're building the rack there for Palestine, and I'm ready to get it out of our, our room in the, in the house and into the, uh, the studio location there in Palestine. So that ought to be up in a few couple of months? We're, no, actually, we're hoping it up in, within about three weeks from now. We're hoping it's built. Oh, okay. That'd be great. Yeah. So... Uh, and then, you know, we'll see where God leads us from there. But uh, right now, he's leading us all to be holy and sanctified in this Holy Week. That's right. Well, Dennis, are you about ready to start the recording of this of our my conversation sure, with you, Monica Mize? Would you like to introduce what it is? It's, uh, Monica is uh, a uh, person here in town who has a special uh, ministry. She doesn't call it a ministry, but a ministry of helping young children learn about the Eucharist and for, for First Communion. And it's that's a good, what we're going to be talking and about. And it's a calling, I guess you could yeah, say. Calling, so, yeah. yeah, we're going to play an interview, and then we'll be right back before our break, and we'll play this interview with Monica Mize. I have with me today on this pre-recorded segment Monica Mize, and we're going to talk about some things that are very beneficial to the young people, perhaps, who are making the First Communion. Monica, good morning. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you so much. And... Tell me a little bit about how you got involved in this. When when you and I had conversations earlier, you said this isn't a ministry, but I, I must correct you that anything we do to help God's people is a ministry. So how did you get involved in this? Well, simply uh, through my own children. And uh, I guess somehow um, I became aware of a couple of the books, and then I'm sure a friend or two had recommended another one just when my children were of, of that young age, and we were trying to prepare them for First Holy Communion. Um, so it, it and it's Really just something that I've shared with when they were at Catholic school. I always uh, gave a list and, and suggested mm-hmm. 
the teachers to send something home um, recommending these books because they were just beautifully. And so many of them have two of them have the uh, imprimatur. Okay, and um, they're just beautiful for actually for adults and for children, but specifically for. I was going to ask you about that because you know Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew that we need to become as little children or we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. So these books are beneficial to adults who maybe made their first communion. 10, 15, 20, 30 or more years ago? Absolutely. We all need those reminders. As cradle Catholics especially, um, we do tend to forget. And these just truly do hit home that um, the beauty of the Eucharist and um, and our whole faith, really. And so um, it is beneficial for all ages. Just okay. a reminder is great. Now, tell us a little bit about, there are three books that you're, you've, you want to talk about today. Yes. And that you're recommending that parents get. And I looked at them. They are, they're available various places. I looked, they're all available on Amazon. I think most of them are 10, two of them are $10 or less. And the other one I think is 13 or $14. Yes. Um, some of them come in, in, most of them are paperback. Uh, one comes in a hardback or paperback and, um, they all have different things. I think uh, we were going to have all that information on our website. So if they would go to the Red Sea Radio website, um, you know, they would have the ISBN numbers and um, any websites or um, distributors, any of that information yes. on as well. So um, the first one is called The King of the Golden City, and it's written by Mother Mary Loyola. It was originally published in 1921, so it's not a new book, and I don't know how we never found out about it, but um, it is a beautiful um, allegory written for children that encompasses basically all of the Christian life. Um, our ultimate goal, as it explains, is to get to the uh, to the gold to the golden city and to live with the king forever. And uh, right now, we're in the land of exile, and we must um, live, learn how to know, love, and serve the king. Um, and basically, she wrote this book as a request from one of her little nieces or someone in her family. Mm. And they had asked uh, her to write something that would help her understand what she needed to do to truly prepare for First Holy Communion. And this is the result of that. And it's it's beautiful. So there are many characters. Uh, Dialecta is the reader, of course, um, the main character. Um, and there's the king, of course, um, the the uh, traitor or the devil is malignous. I love that name. That is a great name yes. for the devil. <laughs> and and then it just explains basically all sorts of things. How um, it has the king's banquet and how we have to be truly um, prepared to receive first holy communion to attend the banquet. Um, our robes must be pure white, um, and if there are small stains or um, well, small stains are acceptable. However, you have to. Um, you are not able to receive the the many, many jewels, maybe only just a few jewels that the king would be happy to grant you. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's beautifully written. There's, so this, it, and if I remember right, you said that this book has a study guide that goes with it so that the adults can get down to the children's level and absolutely. explain this. Absolutely. It, it, is, that, is it fairly easy to read the study guide? Uh, um, the study guide is, is just basic questions, and it's probably best to... Uh, for the parent to read through, and um, as you're reading the book, it would help you to point out to the child some of the underlying meanings, and because, like I said, it's an allegory, so nothing is actually written as the true name. Um, the confession is known as the antechamber, where you go in and remove any stains if you have been if you have applied properly. Okay. Um, so. It's uh, it is beautifully written, and when we finished this reading it to my son, he um, was disappointed that there was not a sequel. And so um, it is it is okay. a very special book. It's beautiful. Well, tell written. us about the next book, and then we'll. The next one is uh, the patron saint of first communicants, and it's the story of Blessed Imelda Lambertini, written by Mary Fabian Wendot, um, and she uh, was a little girl, uh, uh, Imelda was a little girl um, born of wealthy parents. And, uh, of course, she received um, many, many gifts for her fifth birthday. And um, after she opened all of them, she was rather disappointed because she didn't get one thing that she really, really wanted. And um, at five years old, she had already realized that we are all tabernacles Mm -hmm. because God is in us since baptism. And so she had this great desire to 
uh, receive First Holy Communion, but at that time she could not. And um, at that, I think it was 1327, uh, you had to be 14 before you could yes. receive First Holy Communion. So um, that was her greatest desire. And so um, her uncle was the Archbishop of Crete, and um, she begged him to help her uh, be able to receive communion early, and he could do nothing. Um, later on, she became a Dominican nun, um, not solely in hopes that that would help her, but that um, her service to the Lord would help her prove mm-hmm. how much she loved him, and hopefully the Lord would intercede for her. And so uh, truly that's what she found out, was that she just begged the Lord each day that she would be able to receive him fully. And... Um, there were several miracles that do occur, and so um, it's just beautifully written, and it's, a, um, of course, based on her life, and so she's a saint that um, I never knew about, and so— I don't think I'd ever heard of I her know, before either. Of course, there are a lot of saints that I've never heard about. Absolutely. So she's awesome, and um, she just—it uh, it just basically you know, gives proof that um, even small children— can truly love the Lord so much, and they have that desire, and they understand exactly, you know, what the Lord is that they were receiving. So I think this book, or her life, was actually uh, the reason that we've now reduced that age to, what is it, seven years old, second grade. So I think that had a big part, you know, her this miracle that occurred in her life. Um, That's the reason. Now, the the third book that you're talking about today has a rather, uh, to me, a, a, a a title that makes it sound like it's pretty difficult, but it isn't, is it? Oh, absolutely not. And what is the name of that book? It is called The Weight of a Mass, A Tale of Faith. Um, and it's almost a scientific name to me, I think, if you're a science person. But um, written by Josephine Nobisa. Uh, she wrote this in 1998. Uh, so that's the most recent of the books. But um, actually, it was based on a miracle that occurred. I'm not even sure the actual date, but a long, long time ago. Um based in a butcher shop in Luxembourg. And so this is a fable based on that miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, so she sets her story here in a bakery uh, because the Eucharist is the bread of life. And um, it is about a um, poor widow who comes in. Um, they actually live in a town um, where the people have kind of grown um, away from their faith. They don't uh, appreciate it. Uh, as which much de- as they which should. Which describes most of the world today. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, so this poor widow comes into a bake- bakery, and um, she is hungry. She promises to offer her mass for the baker's intentions um, in return for one stale piece of bread, which they normally gave the ducks. Um, but the baker is rather rude, and he scoffs at her, and he uh, wants to ridicule her and uh, basically... Um, make fun of her, um, and so he takes a tiny piece of tissue paper, and on the on that tiny little piece, he writes the words "one mass," puts that on one side of his scale, and then proceeds to pile on um, all of the cakes, um, cupcakes, candies, every little uh, wonderful thing in his bakery shop. Um, and so there is a miracle that happens there as well, and it uh, reinforces to all those that were there. Um, that the Mass truly is the source and summit of our faith, as our catechism tells us. That is us, so, so great. And I, I did some research, too, and Josephine Nobiso has several other books available. She does. She has some beautiful books. Okay. Um, and, yes, there's another one um, that uh, is Take It to the Queen, which mm-hmm. is certainly how we ask Mary Mother to intercede for us. So, um, and this has there is a DVD out on this particular book by St. Joseph Radio, so we will okay. put that link as well. Okay, there, we're so. just about out of time. Uh, I really do appreciate that. But it's so good to have these resources available for our children and our grandchildren to be able to, to learn the faith because it's very difficult in our, our day and age to be able to do that, isn't it? It is. Okay. And so are but, you— Yep, sorry, go ahead. Well, to um, to watch these, I know in my own, um, when I was reading this last book to my my children, it was one night after we had eaten dinner, and um, I said I was going to read this book to them, and they, my daughter was more of a teenager, uh, middle school, and she didn't want to hear it, you know, and so she removed herself as far away 
as she could in that same room as I was. And as I read and prayed for God to touch her heart through this book, she physically walked closer and closer with each turning page. When I finished the book, she said, Mom, can I have that book? And I thought, oh, my gosh. So yes. they do. God works through them, so I think. If, so if we have parents and God, godparents and grandparents that are listening that, that really want to get their children turned on to the Lord and to his sacraments, these three books are excellent resources to be able to do that. They are. And, and thankfully, we are so blessed as Catholics to have so many sacramentals that are beautiful gifts for First Holy Communion, uh, medals, rosaries, all of those things. But uh, these three books I can witness um, okay. in my own life. Thank you so great. much. Thank you so much for being here, Monica. And again, these three books are available on Amazon.com, among other places. And I uh, believe we're going to have a, uh, a little piece about these three books on our website. Thank you, Monica. Have a great day. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I have with me now Justin Estep, the Director of Immigration Legal Services for Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Austin. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, Gene. I am so glad to have you here. I've wanted to have someone from Catholic Charities with this particular thing on for quite some time. And uh, for our listeners that, that maybe want to ask him a question, our Phone number is 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Justin, I'm glad you're here. And I know that this is a very hot-button topic for a lot of people right now. And I want people to understand that what something that you told me I think is very important, that Catholic Charities obeys the law with regard to immigration. Is that correct? That is correct. So, uh you know, regardless of what side you are on this whole immigration issue, know that Catholic Charities is, is, is obeying the law and everything that they do. Now, tell me a little bit about Catholic Charities itself. Some people may not know what Catholic Charities is or what services it provides for people. Certainly, Gene. Uh, Catholic Charities of Central Texas uh, provides several different services to those living within the Austin Diocese. Um, currently, we have five programs. Um, one, uh, obviously, is the Immigration Legal Services Program that I'm the director of, where we provide low-cost, high-quality representation for persons seeking uh, family-based and other immigration uh, relief. We also have our uh, financial assistance uh, division, which helps folks with either one-time emergency uh, assistance for rent or for utilities, um, as well as up to a year case manager program, uh, Gabriel Project Life Center, which are uh, classes for expecting parents and new parents, um, our counseling services uh, center, as well as disaster relief, uh, which Thankfully, we only have to uh, have in power uh, from time to time whenever there's a disaster such as uh, the floods in Austin uh, a couple of years ago uh, in San Marcos, the Bastrop fires, the explosion in West. Uh, We mobilize and get out there. So those are the current five programs available through Catholic Charities uh, in the Austin Diocese. And the disaster recovery, you told me when we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago that there were like 1,400 people that you served in 2016. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, we're happy to say that through this fiscal year, we've uh, had to help much fewer people. But yes, due to the, uh, especially the flooding um, in Austin and surrounding t- Central Texas areas uh, during fiscal year 2016, we actually had to provide assistance to over 1,400 people. Now, Catholic Charities is a separate corporation from the Diocese of Austin. That must have some very good things for both the diocese and for Catholic charities? Certainly. Um, obviously, it allows us the freedom to uh, hire the best talent. Um, uh, we do have uh, several positions that are uh, Catholic required, but our interests are finding people that share the same mission, vision, and values that Catholic charities does. With Bishop uh, Vasquez as our bishop, that is a particularly appropriate for 
immigration and legal services, is it not? Since he's got a very special role for the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops. Absolutely. Uh, Bishop Vasquez is the head of the Migration Committee uh, for the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops. And it's a obviously uh, a subject that's very close to him and very near and dear to his heart. In fact, we've worked with uh, Bishop Vasquez and the Texas Conference of Catholic Bishops to uh, testify at the Capitol uh, multiple times uh, this session uh, regarding uh, uh, immigration-related bills that we think um, don't show uh, the level of compassion uh, to our immigrant uh, uh, brothers and sisters. And he makes sure that uh, everyone in the diocese is aware of that and also in the state of Texas um, whenever he goes up there and speaks with the politicians. So we are uh, – Catholic Charities in this regard is implementing Catholic teaching. Oh, absolutely. Um, Catholic social teachings are very clear, and as a practicing Catholic, I, I try to adhere to them myself, um, are very clear on immigration, and uh, both in the Old and the New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, we usually refer to uh, – Um, The Jewish people um, being told that they should welcome the stranger among them um, because they were once strangers in the land of Egypt. And then um, in the New Testament, um, you know, we say uh, Jesus is one of the original refugees whenever he had to flee uh, with his family to Egypt to avoid persecution. So there is uh, throughout throughout the uh, Catholic social teachings uh, related to immigration, there are many parallels to um, our beliefs and to our history that, um, I guess, in, in not just encourage us, but direct us uh, to be compassionate to, uh, to our immigrant brothers and sisters. Well, tell me a little bit about your background, us being your list, our listeners, a little sure. bit about your background and how you got to Catholic Charities in the first place. Sure. It's a, it's a bit of a circuitous story. Um, I uh, went to uh, undergraduate at George Washington University in D.C., um, originally from Houston, Texas, uh, fourth generation Texan, was one of the few you know to leave the state for school uh, where I studied finance, uh, but always knew I wanted to be an attorney and uh, applied for law school and ended up at the University of Miami uh, down in Coral Gables, Florida. And once uh, I was there, um, my favorite professor for my first year was also teaching a class in immigration law for my second year. So I decided to sign up for it just because I enjoyed the professor. And I found it fascinating um, how immigration plays into so many different facets of law and of American life, um, obviously, given our history. So I began uh, to cultivate an interest uh, at that point and actually uh, was a law clerk for MTV Latin America, um, where uh, they were based in in, uh, South Beach in in Miami. And uh, one of the projects I worked on was helping uh, MTV Latin America get uh, performers to the big concert, uh, their annual concert in Mexico City. And so that's where I started working on visas and, and, and international immigration. Uh, then whenever I came back uh, home to Texas and took the bar, um, that clerkship led me to uh, an interview and eventually being hired by a, a local immigration firm, um, Foster Kwan, where I worked in employment-based immigration for about five years. Now, that's, that, is that green cards? and Was it I-9s? And- well, uh, yeah, whenever I, I worked at Foster Kwan, um, most of my uh, work in employment-based was uh, – uh, either with H-1Bs oh. or, uh, or intercompany uh, transfers from overseas, I mean, several different types of visas, as well as also uh, representing uh, companies whenever they were audited by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, um, mm-hmm. to review their documents, um, particular, in particular the, the Form I-9, uh, to see uh, if all of their workforce was employment authorized here in the United States. So that was where my original um, uh, place in immigration law was, more the employment-based side. But while I was there, um, actually, uh, I went to an American Immigration Lawyers Association luncheon. Uh, they have every year where the nonprofits from around Austin uh, come in and uh, ask for either uh, donations or pro bono assistance. And the former director of Immigration Legal Services at Catholic Charities of Central Texas, uh, Mark Kinsler, uh, came and was asking for help with what's called a U visa, which are visas for persons who have been the victims of crime, undocumented persons mm-hmm. that have been the victims of crime. Um, if they were uh, willing to come forward and assist law enforcement in reporting uh, that crime and helping to catch and uh, prosecute the perpetrator, uh, they can get a visa that eventually can le- lead to permanent residency. So he was looking for volunteers and 
I really got into being an attorney because I wanted to do pro bono work eventually. So a year and a half into my practice, I thought, you know, hey, I'm feeling my oats now. I want to give this a try. And uh, no experience was necessary. Uh, Mark helped me immensely walking me through the process. But I took the case. And uh, about 10 months later, was able to get a young man and his mother their U visa and really just started falling in love with that area of immigration law. And later that summer of 2012, uh, President Obama announced the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, DACA. Um, so I started uh, volunteering at, at DACA clinics that UT Law sponsored or that Catholic Charities worked on. And uh, eventually over the years, just began to realize that that's where my heart was. And I started to look for an opportunity to practice basically exclusively in that area of law. And I was lucky enough that shortly after looking, um, the director position uh, for immigration legal services came open. Um, and I was, uh, I applied and uh, was lucky enough to be hired. And now I've been there for about two and a half years. So it, you got there eventually, didn't you? Exactly, exactly. I ended up uh, replacing the man who started me down this path whenever he left to open his own practice mm-hmm. uh, in Austin. And uh, and he's, we're still really close with him. He was actually uh, in town last Saturday with us uh, when we were having a, a consultation, legal consultation, and Know Your Rights Clinic. Um, so, yeah, it was... Uh, in, in town here? Yes, in, in, Bryan, in Bryan. In Bryan. And uh, uh, it was really nice to have him here. But, yeah, it, it definitely came full circle um, whenever I ended up replacing the person who gave me my first pro bono case. Now, how long has uh, Catholic Charities been doing uh, immigration assistance? That's relatively new, like in the last 10, 15 years? Correct, yeah. Um, Catholic Charities of Central Texas only um, started back in 1999. And um, if you know anything about other Catholic charities around the country, that's relatively new. Um, we're, we're said to be in our teenage years, uh, our executive director says. And, uh, and then in, uh, the Immigration Legal Services Program began in 2001. Okay. Dennis? Yeah, and we're also connected back to Waco again. So you can also talk about your Know Your Rights Clinic that's coming up soon, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, we plan on having a Know Your Rights Clinic uh, in Waco on April 22nd. Okay. And how many people did you have at your Know Your Rights Clinic here on Saturday? Uh, We had about uh, 50 people come, and uh, we were able to give them uh, all uh, Know Your Rights, or sorry, uh, immigration consultations. And we were lucky enough to also get a family law attorney to come and speak about uh, uh, retaining uh, guardianship, or sorry, giving guardianship to uh, non parent relatives. So if you have a family where there's an undocumented mother and father and U.S. citizen children, the U.S. citizen children can stay if there was something that would happen to their parents and they would have a guardian that could make those important decisions about school, medical care, that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, we were able to educate folks on that and their rights as well as provide them uh, a free legal consultation. Now, what the, you have several services to provide, mm-hmm. immigration, legal services. Can, uh, you may have talked about these a little bit. Would you like to enumerate on those a little bit, what sure, they are? Sure. Um, the, way I, the way I like to describe how we practice immigration law is if you think of immigration law in four separate categories, um, the two categories we do not uh, currently practice in are one, employment-based immigration, where you have to have a company sponsor you uh, for a temporary or uh, permanent work visa or permanent residency. That's what I did in my old life uh, at the firm I worked for. Uh, and then the second area we do not practice in is uh, defense during uh, removal or deportation proceedings. But we basically practice in every other area of immigration law. And those fall into the final two categories, which are uh, family-based immigration, um, which is you know the traditional oldest form of immigration here in the United States. Uh, brothers immigrating sisters, fathers immigrating da- daughters, marriage-based immigration, anything having to do where a family member Uh, must sponsor you uh, for your uh, immigrant visa. And then we practice in the fourth category, which is kind of a catch-all. We call it the special programs and self-petitions category. Um, And that covers everything from naturalization, which is uh, becoming a citizen, uh, DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, asylum, refugee adjustment, uh, Cuban adjustment, um, uh, U visas, like I mentioned earlier, the, for victims of crimes, uh, T visas for victims of human trafficking, uh, Violence Against Women Act uh, visas. So if someone uh, is in an abusive relationship and their immigration status depends on their abuser, um, we can help them separate from that abuser um, their, their immigration status so they can stand alone so that that immigration status can't be used 
against them by the abuser. So we, we practice in just, like I said, about every area that isn't employment-based or uh, removal defense. How many uh, people do you see a month, say, in the Austin area? Um, well, overall, um, we see um, recently approximately about 200 consultations a month. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And in fact, um, for this fiscal year, we were set up more for uh, 25 to 30. But uh, given the uh, uh, the necessity for some people and then uh, – just the rhetoric around immigration for others, we've seen uh, a big increase in the uh, desire for immigration legal services and, in fact, uh, have expanded um, a couple of our contracts uh, to compensate for this increased demand. So, yeah, right now we're, uh, we're doing about 200 consultations a month and about uh, 55 to 60 percent of those uh, consultations actually become uh, cases for our team. Okay. How many people do you have on your team uh, with immigration legal services? Sure. Uh, So currently we have uh, six case managers, um, three are uh, barred attorneys, and then three are what are called Board of Immigration Appeals accredited representatives. Not to get too deep in the weeds about this, but essentially the Department of Justice created a program uh, for nonprofits only where they could get certified in immigration law. And then once they were certified, they could have uh, registered what are called BIA, Board of Immigration Appeals Accredited Representatives. And these folks, uh, once they were certified by the Department of Justice, can basically act like an immigration attorney in most cases um, uh, and uh, must be accredited by working usually as a legal assistant uh, for uh, at least a year and then going through multiple trainings. And of course, um, just like any, you know, uh, new position, uh, our attorneys have oversight over our new BIA reps. Um, but just as an example, our oldest employee um, in immigration legal services and currently at Catholic Charities of Central Texas is one of our BIA accredited representatives who's been uh, doing this for about 17 years, literally since the program started. So this accreditation is roughly the equivalent of a physician's assistant. Uh, in a way, yeah, that would be a that would be a good way of 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 qualifying it. Um, the only, I guess, difference between that and that metaphor would be that uh, the BIA accredited rep can still sign the documents as if they were an attorney, but they okay. but they go through a a separate accreditation program than obviously an attorney who just has to be barred in one of the states here in the U.S. and then they can begin practicing. And, uh, explain the word barred because. T- for most of us casual listeners, we think, well, that means they, they can't go anywhere. <laughs> sure. Sorry. Yeah, I got into the, the little, legal, little legal lingo. Um, barred is, uh, mean, just means that a person is a member of a state bar um, so that they've passed an exam um, in whatever state they are in and that has certified them um, as an attorney. If somebody knows something or maybe they, are, they themselves are in a situation where they, they need some help, or they know somebody that could really use some help, how would they go about doing that? How, how could they encourage somebody? Who would they contact? What What would they do to get somebody on the road to getting some help? Certainly. So if you know someone or you are someone who uh, wants to take a look at your immigration legal status and, uh, and or you know, improve it, uh, the best way to do that with Immigration Legal Services of Catholic Charities is uh, if you are in the Austin area, um, to stop by our office uh, Monday through Friday. We have uh, walk-in appointments. Now, we do only take uh, about six or seven a day, uh, depending on the types of cases. So we encourage uh, persons who are going to do the walk-in to arrive early. Um, our office opens at 8.30, so get it there uh, between 8 to 8.30. And then um, if you live in the Bryan College Station area, uh, Catholic Charities uh, has a brick-and-mortar office here as well. And within that office, we have a Skype station, a separate office set up specifically for immigration legal services where folks can come in and register uh, an appointment and then uh, speak with an attorney uh, that is in Austin or a BIA rep that is in Austin over Skype. And because we have tried to move our practice into the 21st century, almost everything we do is uh, stored electronically so we can work and uh, have access to documents and send documents um, from office to office uh, with no issue at all. So those are the, the two best ways to, uh, to get into our system okay. and uh, to get a consultation. Now, if, if someone is 
uh, technologically challenged or frightened by something like Skype? Is there somebody here that will help them get started on that? Absolutely. Um, uh, Brandy, our, our admin here in Brian, she actually uh, is a jack of all trades and not only is our administrator and makes the appointments, but we've also trained her on, on our electronic case system as well as the Skype. So you will not have to walk in and turn anything on or do anything having to do with the technology. Uh, if you're a client, Brandy will actually go and set up the entire station for you and uh, you'll be able to interact with the attorney or BIA rep without ever having to touch a button. Um, She's there to make sure the technology goes right. And then also um, after the appointment, if there's any documents that need to be printed out, checklists, um, other information that the client might need, she's there to work with the attorney uh, to get that information to the individual. So they, they will be guided the entire way if they come in for a Skype appointment. For those listeners of ours who are in the Waco area, the process is a little different, isn't it? Not? Yes, currently we do not have a, uh, a brick and mortar uh, uh, place in Waco. We're hoping to be there soon. Um, but right now, um, for anyone that's not currently not living near the Bryan College Station area um, or Austin, they will have to... Uh, drive in for our, our walk-in appointments. But we are currently in the process and hope to have roll it out next month of uh, taking appointments for certain types of cases. Um, the more complicated cases will still um, have people walk in, but if you're naturalizing or just renewing your permanent resident card, otherwise known as a green card, those sorts of things, you'll be able to make an appointment so that we don't, you don't drive in uh, you know, two hours round uh, or four hours round trip and uh, have a one hour to one and a half hour consultation. Uh, but right now, unfortunately, that's what's being required of the of folks living in other parts of the diocese. But our long term plan uh, at Catholic Charities for the Immigration Legal Services Program is to have uh, similar Skype stations because it's worked out so well here in Bryan. Uh, across the diocese, the different parishes, so that no one uh, in the diocese will have to drive uh, more than 45 minutes to an hour to access one of those Skype stations. And uh, that way we feel we can better serve uh, everyone uh, in the diocese, but also not have to worry about the issues that uh, come up with, you know, managing uh, persons at satellite offices. So uh, currently for the Waco area, you will need to come into our office um, in Austin, um, but we hope to be out there with a physical presence very soon. Now, it's probably a little early to reveal where that office is going to be in the Waco area. Correct. Yeah, we still haven't uh, fully confirmed uh, exactly where it's going to be. Uh, most likely it'll be uh, at a parish up there, um, uh, perhaps St. Fra- Francis. We don't know, um, but we are working uh, with the uh, uh, with the diocese and with the parishes in the area to try to find an appropriate location for us to be housed at. And we also are, are planning on coming up not just with immigration legal services, but the other programs that Catholic Charities of Central Texas provides. So uh, when when you do make that move into the Waco area, will that be published through the local parishes, oh, through absolutely. the website, or how is that going to how are people going to find out? Because that's that could be very important to some people who are listening to us today. Absolutely, no, we will make it very evident that that we are in Waco uh, through the parish bulletins, through um, hopefully you know Red Sea Radio, as well as. Uh, uh, giving uh, presentations in the area, um, promoting the fact that we are coming and what services that we will be providing. If you, I'm sure that if you give Red Sea the copy for that or what you want to say a couple of weeks before it happens, we'd be happy to put that on the air for you. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, Justin, it's, it's good that you're here. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the types of ca- people – the cases that you have, without violating any uh, confidentiality, what are some of the types, typical types of cases that you would have or some that are very unusual that people wouldn't believe that Catholic charities could help them with? Sure. Um, our first uh, two, I guess, biggest caseloads currently, um, our top two biggest caseloads are naturalization and deferred action for childhood arrivals. So naturalization, um, many people might already be aware that that's the act of uh, becoming a citizen uh, once you um, have met the requirements under your permanent residency. So uh, to clarify a myth that most people may have about um, uh, becoming a citizen in the United States, uh, for example, if you marry a U.S. citizen, you don't automatically become a U.S. citizen. It's not instantaneous. Um, In fact, you have to uh, first apply for a visa. 
um, especially obviously if you're out of the country. And then uh, you get a permanent uh, resident card, a green card, you, and you become a conditional permanent resident. And then after two years of being conditional, you have to still prove to the U.S. government that you and your spouse are together and you, know, you haven't exchanged money and then move to separate ends of the country um, committing immigration fraud. Um, and then you become a full-fledged permanent resident. And if it's marriage-based, you have to wait another year, so three years total of being a permanent resident based on marriage, or five years uh, based on any other type of immigration status, um, becoming a permanent resident. And then you can apply for naturalization, which is where we come in uh, for that process. And that requires uh, filling out what's called an N-400, which is basically a collection of biographical and historical information and then actually going to, uh, in our area, uh, to the Citizenship and Immigration Services in San Antonio for a naturalization interview. And that's when you take the famous uh, U.S. History Civics exam as well oh. as the English test. Um, so that's so there, re- there is a requirement that you be able to speak, at least speak English, probably read English. Yes, you have to, unless you qualify for an exemption based on age or disability, um, you must be able to speak and write and read in English to naturalize and become a U.S. citizen. And it sounds like you have to know a little bit of U.S. history as well. Absolutely, absolutely. There's a a 10-question exam that each uh, applicant is given when they come in for naturalization uh, based on a 100-question bank that they can study ahead of time. Uh, And uh, I always say it's funny whenever I see on my uh, Facebook feed or elsewhere, um, whenever folks go out into you know do a man on the streets uh, type interview and ask native-born U.S. citizens these questions, such as when was the Constitution written, uh, when was the Declaration of Independence signed, um, name two uh, states that border either Mexico or Canada. Um, who was the first president of the United States of America? How many Supreme Court justices are there? Uh, so that's uh, who is the current Speaker of the House. Those are the types of uh, things that each individual needs to know uh, to pass the naturalization exam. And once they uh, pass that portion, um, they will be notified and then eventually uh, take the oath of uh, being a citizen of the United States. And at that point, uh, they become a U.S. citizen. So that's right now our number one uh, type of caseload. Uh, Justin, does Catholic Charities help people study for these things or have classes or point them to uh, or groups or organizations that help them get ready to pass this exam? Yes. In fact, uh, we recently received a contract with uh, the Department of Homeland Security specifically to help out with naturalization services. And as a component of that grant, uh, we have to uh, provide ESL, English as a Second Language, and U.S. History Civics classes. Um, while Catholic Charities of Central Texas does not currently have that program, uh, we some contracted with one of our community partners, Manos de Cristo, um, to provide those ESL uh, civics classes. So, A, we know places uh, where folks can get that information, and then uh, B, uh, before anyone goes to a naturalization interview, any one of our clients goes to a naturalization interview, uh, we have a practice uh, run-through with them uh, where they come to our office and we act, uh, the attorney case manager acts like the officer, the Department of Homeland Security officer, uh, and goes through the uh, exam and, and tries to point out things that they might be missing or uh, things they shouldn't do or shouldn't say. And uh, then they can go to their exam at least uh, as prepared as we can possibly make them. Now, you're doing that in the Austin area. Do you know whether there's anything available like that in the Bryan College Station area? Or do you plan to have something like that available in the Waco area as well? Um, actually, yes. There are uh, ESL civics classes um, provided through BIN, which is the Brazos, Brazos Interfaith Immigration Network. Um, they provide those classes, and I actually have given presentations on our naturalization uh, assistance on the specifically the grant um, at their classes. And they're a very excellent program and uh, combine multiple um, uh, groups through uh, interfaith through an interfaith coalition to provide assistance to immigrants and to uh, through these classes in other ways, and then also refer them out to uh, groups like us so that they can have access um, to whatever they need to complete their naturalization. And is, is there something similar to that in Waco, or are you aware of it? Uh, currently in Waco, um, the best referral source uh, that we have, and it's uh, the name is escaping me right now, of course, uh, is a uh, 
Mission Waco. And it's a small office there that uh, does provide some immigration legal services as well as housing uh, representation and housing uh, lawsuits and that sort of thing. Uh, but they do have a network where they can refer out, but I don't know specifically of any Okay, classes. but if somebody were to call the, the, your Austin office, someone in the Austin office would know how to get a hold of Mission Waco or through a parish there in Waco? Absolutely. Okay. So you that was one. Now, so you, you talked about immig- the naturalization services. Mm-hmm. And the then other- our second biggest uh, case type right now is DACA, or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And I don't understand what that means. Yeah, it's, it is absolutely uh, convoluted and confusing. That's uh, I'm convinced why, what lawyers do on purpose to kind of justify our existence. Um, is It's essentially uh, – if you think of deferred action as deferred adjudication, like on a parking ticket, yeah. uh, deferred action is the same basic philosophy except for removal proceedings. So if some uh, this program was created in uh, June of 2012 by President Obama, and the idea is that uh, we want to make undocumented persons here in this country uh, that are considered low priority, uh, meaning no criminal record, no removal orders that are outstanding, um, and specifically for this program, who came to the country as children, so who really didn't have a a voluntary decision in whether or not they came, their family came, and obviously they came with their family. It was their parents' decision, or uncle, or aunt, or grandma's. Exactly, exactly. And to qualify for the program uh, that President Obama created, uh, you essentially have to prove that you were uh, age 15 or younger when you arrived in the United States, that you have been in the United States since uh, June of 2007, uh, that you were undocumented um, in June of 2012 when the program was announced, that you are currently in high school, have graduated from high school, or are currently in or have a uh, currently in a GED program or have a GED, and then you must have little or no criminal record uh, to qualify. And if you meet all of these all of these elements, uh, then what you can do is essentially send in your information to the government and they run in background checks, make sure everything that you're saying is true. And as a reward for coming out of the shadows and identifying yourself, uh, the Department of Homeland Security through Citizenship and Immigration Services uh, will defer action or defer adjudication on any removal proceedings you have for two years. And during that two-year period, you're allowed to get a, an employment authorization document, which is essentially just a, a card that counts as a work permit. Uh, and in Texas, you're allowed to apply for a driver's license and a social security number as well. So it allows um, these uh, kids that, that are undocumented um, but have done you know, essentially the right thing, gone to school, graduated, uh, don't have a criminal record, to be able to access the uh, ability to be employed. And we found, uh, and obviously our presence is heavy in college towns with Austin, Bryan College Station, Waco, uh, that many college students are uh, taking advantage of this program because a lot of them, uh, uh, before this program was created, they would start out at a university and then get halfway through and realize, well, I'm getting my degree in engineering, but Technically, I can't work in the United States, so what's the point? Um, and this program has really helped out in that regard so that folks that really want to participate as uh, upstanding members of, uh, of our society have that ability to access those jobs and access that education. Um, and right now, um, over 750,000 uh, over the past four and a half years, uh, persons have been approved for this uh, particular program. And uh, we hope to continue to see it grow and uh, see persons take advantage of it so that they can, uh, A, we believe it makes the United States safer because you're having uh, what we call, like I said earlier, low priority undocumented persons uh, come forward and identify themselves so that the U.S. government knows where they are and can run background checks. And then obviously it's a benefit to the individual um, who came here as a child with all of the, the work permit and the driver's license, so security number, and then also to the work for, uh, to the employers um, across the country uh, that have spoken very favorably of this program. Um, as most uh, studies show that uh, first and second gener- generation immigrants um, uh, take less six days, um, have higher efficiency at work. Um, so it really is a beneficial program for everyone involved. Um, the only drawback that we currently see, so like I said, it's for two years, and then you can renew it indefinitely. But it's actually not a law. It's uh, only an executive action, which yes. is uh, just a fancy word for a uh, memo from uh, the executive branch. It sounds like a very complicated process where we would 
be very helpful to have somebody who knows the legals ins and outs to get you through it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like I tell everyone, you can always represent yourself in anything, uh, pro se, uh, but every attorney in the world will tell you whatever their practice area is. Please don't do that because how convol- complicated and convoluted laws can be. And that's very true in immigration law. Our, our immigration law system is uh, kind of a patchwork mm-hmm. of acts and laws that have been uh, put together since uh, World War II. And so some uh, laws seem contradictory to each other. Others just create uh, a bureaucracy that's difficult to get through. So it's definitely a process that we recommend um, if, they, if folks qualify for it to seek out an attorney, um, uh, either with a nonprofit or if – uh, or if they can afford it, a private attorney to help them through the process. And especially these days um, where there might be uh, extra considerations that uh, before this current administration you might not have considered. We're about out of time. If somebody wants more information about this whole thing that we've been talking about, it's cctx.org, right? Correct. And you can also reach our Austin office um, and we can redirect you to our Brian office at 512 651 Six one two five. That includes if they want to be a volunteer. Very much so. Justin, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate that you're here. And uh, just one last thing that you might want to say. Sure. Uh, I guess the last thing that I would want to say is that um, if if you are um, involved here in Bryan or or anywhere um, that you can hear this. Uh, with the Catholic Church, that it is a very much a, a need right now to get volunteers for uh, immigration assistance, and we're specifically looking for folks who are bilingual. Um, or, and that doesn't necessarily mean Spanish. Exactly, exactly. In any language, uh, we we deal with persons speaking French, Vietnamese, uh, Chinese, Middle Eastern languages. Uh, so. It, Anyone who, who has an inkling that they would like to help, um, please uh, feel free to, to give us a call or reach out to your local uh, parish, and uh, we would love to have you, as I'm sure they would. Thanks again, Justin. I appreciate your coming in. Thanks, Gene. This is Gene Wilhelm, and I want to remind you that when you are choosing between the values of the world and the values of heaven, always round up. <laughs>